Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Good morning, Liquid Church. How are you today? Wow. It is so fantastic to be with you guys this morning. Those of you that are in Nutley and New Brunswick and Mountainside, it is so great to be with you all. I am really excited to see what God's going to do this morning. Are you excited? All right. It's phenomenal. And listen, this series is an amazing series to jump in on right after Pastor Tim did Killing It. Man, I love that song. It's very catchy. It's like, you know, I'm killing it, right? I'm killing it. Yeah. You know, and this is really dealing with the big P in all of our lives. It's the thing that keeps you in a fight when you know that your point's not that good anymore, but you got to win the fight so you keep pushing, right? It's the thing that keeps you from initiating an apology. You don't need to apologize. You're only 5% wrong, right? When the other person realizes that they're more wrong than you, then we'll talk about it. It's the big P in our lives, pride. And I think all of us, in some way, shape, or form, we struggle with pride, don't we? In, in our family, we definitely struggle with pride. Here's a picture of my family here. Uh, they are very, very beautiful. That's my wife, Jackie. She's fantastic. Uh, we have a 16-month-old son named Wesley. He's incredible. He gets into everything. And then there's our daughter, Sayla. She's four years old, and she said she accidentally found Grammy's you know, lipstick and just got on her face. She doesn't know how it got there. But, but, you know, Sayla is, you know, she's her own person. She's opinionated, big personality, always has something to say. Uh, one time she was asking about kind of her, her kind of where she came from, her ethnic background. She goes, because, Daddy, your skin's kind of dark. Mommy's skin's not as dark as yours. What's going on with that? And I go, well, Daddy's parents were from India, and Mommy's parents were from kind of like Canada, upstate New York, and that's how we got you. So you're, you're half Indian. And so she looks at us and goes, Daddy, no, 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 no. I'm a Jersey girl. I'm not Indian. <laughs> and so, you know, this is my daughter. You know, we have like this thing called hashtag Sayla Says. And, uh, you know, the other day I come home and, and she's there and, and uh, you know, she's kind of quiet. And I go to the babysitter and go, well, what's going on? What, what happened today? Well, I think you and your wife need to talk to your daughter. Yikes, right? So, you know, we, you know my wife comes home. We sit her down and said, Sayla, what happened today? And, and, you know, she's four, so, you know, lots and lots of words in all different orders. So, so here's what she told us. She's like, Daddy, I was at the park with Faith, and we had such a great time. And, and this girl with this pink shirt was there, and we were friends, and we were hanging out. It was awesome. But then she left and had to go home, and there was this girl with the yellow shirt there. Uh, and she was a little bit older than me, and so I went over to her and said, hey, do you want to be friends? And she said, no, I don't want to be your friend. I don't want to play with you. And I'm just thinking, oh, this is so devastating for a four-year-old, her, her first taste of pain in life. And I go, well, then, Sayla, what happened next? Well, Daddy, I had to hit her in the face. <laughs> Wait, what? And I'm thinking, great, I'm a pastor. My kid's picking fights in, in the playground. This is a problem. And so she's telling me all this. And we go, well, Sayla, why did you hit this girl? What was going on there? And she says, well, Daddy, she didn't understand how special I was. So I hit her. I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, like, you know, we're trying to instill, you know, you know, that, you know, a strong self-image, and she's made in the image of God and our daughter, and literally the big P kind of snuck right in there and kind of took over it, you know, and this is a problem we all have. We struggle with the big P. We struggle with pride. We, we have a hard time trying to rein it in, don't we? And, and in New Jersey, we have a unique kind of a challenge when it comes to this, and that's because we are what I'd like to call three P people. All of us in this room, 
in one way, shape, or another. Some have more of it, some have less of it, but we have what I call power. We have the ability to do things, to get things done, to make things happen. We also have prestige. Remember 25 years ago when you scored that winning uh, touchdown at the football game and you still talk about it like it was yesterday? You've done stuff. You're prestigious. And also, we have possessions. We have stuff. We've got cars. We've got multiple houses. We've got iPads and all those kind of things. We have the three Ps. And it can be very, very difficult when we have these three Ps to not in one sense or another kind of start measuring how much more valuable, how much more important we are depending on who has what and who doesn't have anything. And it leads us right to this big P, this thing called pride. But let me tell you something. I don't think power, prestige, and possessions are a bad thing in and of themselves. They're very good things, in fact. But here's the deal. We have to learn how to leverage our three Ps to honor God and to bless the people around us. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. When we're trying to kill it, we're going to kill this big P. How do we leverage the three Ps in our lives to do that well? So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. If you have it on your phone or your, or your tablet, it'll have some sections of it on the screen over here as well. So you'll be able to kind of follow along with us. And Daniel chapter 4, let me just tell you straight up, this is a quirky, weird chapter. And, and there's going to be some things here you're going to be like, what is going on here? But, but that's okay. I'll walk you through it. You'll, you'll be fine. You'll survive. So, so this is really a book about a guy named King Nebuchadnezzar II. If you Googled King Nebuchadnezzar II, you'd find out he's a historical figure. He really existed. He was one of the greatest rulers. Actually, he was the greatest rulers in the Neo-Babylonian Empire, which is right now in modern-day Iraq, maybe parts of Iran as well. King Nebuchadnezzar uh, had a dream, and in that culture, dreams were a big deal. You paid attention to your dreams because that's how he got kind of messages from the gods, how he was able to lead his empire and, and conquer other civilizations and things like that. So he gets this dream, and it really, really freaks him out, and he's thinking, I need to figure out what this dream's about. i got to figure out what is going on here. So King Nebuchadnezzar calls his advisors, guys, you need, okay, we need to have a powwow. Right? You guys got to tell me what is going on here. And he starts describing the dream. He says, here's the dream. There's this tree, and it's in the middle of the land, and it grows all the way to the top of the sky. The branches are touching the sky, and its branches are kind of hanging over things. And, and the birds, the beasts, they're all able to find a home there. And man, the fruit, mmm, it is so good. And grapes and apples, there's all these different kinds of fruits there. It's a beautiful tree. But then all of a sudden, I heard this voice. And this voice came down and said, chop down the tree. Strip off the branches, scatter the fruits. Let the birds and the beasts flee. Why? Here's why. That the living may know, and say this with me in yellow, the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth. Sovereign simply means this, all-powerful, all-prestige, owns all things. The Most High is sovereign over all things and gives them to anyone he wishes. So Nebuchadnezzar's trying to figure out what is going on. The advisors are listening. They're like, I have, I have no idea what this is about, O king. So he calls in Daniel. Daniel is probably one of the king's most, uh, most uh, insightful advisors. He's excited about having Daniel kind of hear about this dream. And so he tells Daniel the dream, and Daniel kind of looks at him for a long, long time. Do you ever, ever have been in a situation with a, with a boss or maybe a family member, and you've got to tell them something that you know they're not going to like? And you're like, oh, well, here's the thing. You know, some of us have been talking. We've noticed. That's kind of the situation Daniel's in. He's like, well, king, I really hope this isn't for you. 
you, it could be for your enemies or someone else, but here's the deal. King, you are the tree. You're the one that needs to get chopped down. Why? Because of this thing. The big P is in your life. It has blinded you to everything else. And the reason why Daniel's so nervous telling this to the king is King Nebuchadnezzar is a very intimidating guy. He is known as the king of kings in some circles. In fact, uh, 70 years later, Daniel's still alive, and he's telling his son, King Belshazzar, he's talking about kind of what Nebuchadnezzar's like. He says this to him. O king, the most high God, say this with me, gave. Here's why that's important. If the most high God can give you something, he can also take it away. Keep that in mind. Remember that. It's going to come up again. Your father, Nebuchadnezzar, was given what? Sovereignty. Say that with me. Sovereignty. That's right. He was given power and greatness. And say this with me. Glory and splendor. Yeah. He was given power. He was given prestige. And that led him to get his possessions. So he is a really, really intimidating guy. Let's keep reading here. It says this. Because. Where is it? Because. Where's my next slide? There it is. Because of the. What? Say this with me. High position. He gave him all the peoples and nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him. People were afraid of King Nebuchadnezzar. You remember a couple weeks ago during the Pop God series, Tim's talking about Habakkuk? And you remember those three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they got thrown into that big fiery furnace? Do you remember who threw them in there? Who was it? It was King Nebuchadnezzar. Do you remember why he did it? Because they wouldn't worship the 90-foot statue made out of gold of him. This dude's got an ego. You guys know people like this? You know, if they could, they'd make a statue of themselves. And so the big P is this kind of thing. He's not struggling with the big P. He's like embracing it. He's making out with it. That's like his boyfriend or his girlfriend right there. King Nebuchadnezzar loves the big P. But, you know, after the whole situation with the fiery furnace, he's like, you know what? I'm done with this. You're right. The most high is the most high. And so Nebuchadnezzar kind of has this on again, off again, on again, off again relationship with God. But Daniel gives him this warning. He's like, King, you got to kill this thing. You got to start killing it, or it's going to crush you. And so this is where we find ourselves if we look at Daniel chapter 4, verse 29. It says this 12 months later, so one year after this whole dream thing happened, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said this to himself. Let's say this and yell together. Is not this the what? Great Babylon I have built? as the royal residence by what? My mighty power and for the glory of what? My majesty. Let's pause here for a second. Do you sense that? Do you feel that? It's all about me. It's my power, my prestige, my majesty. I built it. Can you sense and feel the arrogance dripping off every single word that he's saying? It's all about me. Look what I did. Look how powerful I am. You know, he's got the me monster creeping in. The big me rhymes with the big P, and it's just kind of overwhelming everything. And that's where everything starts to fall apart. It says this in verse 31. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Let's say this together. Your royal authority has been what? Taken from you. Remember what we said before? What God gives, he can also take. And here's the example. God has given it, and now God has taken it away. Let's keep reading. It says here. Actually, before we do that, this is where it gets weird. 
You ever read the Bible and you come up to something, you're like, what is going on here? This, this, this is it here. There's some weird stuff in here. And let me tell you something. This is why you should read the Bible. There's all this weird stuff that you get to look at and go, man, this is weird. This is awesome. So let's read this together. It's a plug for reading the Bible. You'll be driven away from the people and you will live with the wild animals. Oh, so we're going to go natural. We're going to go camping, right? Not so much. Let's read the rest of this together. You will eat grass like the ox. I'm sure some of you are going, what? What is going on here? Eating grass like the ox? Let's go on to the next verse. It says here, verse 33. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. So this happened right away. He was driven away from the people and ate grass like the ox. So can you imagine for me? This is really strange. This is King Nebuchadnezzar. He's like the king of kings. And, and now, all of a sudden, he's on all fours, and he's running around eating grass like the ox. I mean, how ridiculous is that? He, here's what you got to sense. If President Obama, now this isn't a political thing, he's just the most powerful uh, man in the free world. Imagine President Obama, you're visiting the White House, you're driving past D.C., and and you go past the White House lawn, and and you see some guy on all fours, eating completely naked, toenails and fingernails really, really long, kind of gross looking, long hair, dreaded and matted, and you're going, oh, that's gross. And you take a closer look, and you're like, that's the president. That's the representative of our entire democracy. How embarrassed would you feel? Can you imagine the ickiness and the grossness you feel inside? Like, oh my gosh, like, what's happening to our world? And see, that's the kind of sensation that we need to feel. William Blake has this great rendition of of Nebuchadnezzar when he's in this state. And and when we see this picture in in a moment, you got to understand it's really, really kind of a gross picture. It's really kind of this, yeah, right here. Because here, you know, it makes you feel a little uncomfortable, doesn't it? And here's why. You've got these long nails. And here's this thing. This king, who was the most glorious, powerful king in the known world at the time, he's been reduced to being that of a beast. See, when you allow the big P to rule in your life, here's what's going to happen. It will isolate you. It will push away all friendships, all relationships away. And it will reduce you simply to just kind of surviving. It cuts your ability to even understand what is going on in reality. So how do we keep the big P from ruling our lives, not keep it from ruining our relationships, keep it from shutting God out as well as other people? We can start by not letting our three P's lead us here. So let's look at how do we leverage our three P's by first looking at how do we leverage our power? How do we leverage our power? Let me tell you something. Maybe you're thinking, man, power, I don't have a lot of power. But in one way, shape, or form, we all have power. I have a 16-month-old, you know? And if he wants to play on the hot stove, I don't let him, even if he wants to. I pick him up, and I move him. He's crying. He's screaming. It doesn't matter. I have absolute power. Now, it's going to change when he's 15, right? (laughs) Go to bed. I don't want to go to bed. Clean your room. I don't want to clean my room. There's a power struggle. Why? Because it's a part of us, it's our default, our hardwired, we want power, we want control, we want to be able to determine our own destiny, our own way of doing things, and our way of seeing the world, right? And we know this even in relationships. Maybe you're in the relationship right now, you're married to someone, or or you're dating, and it's like one person in that relationship, they have got a lot of power. It's like, you know, when it's time to choose the movie, hey, do we want to see Jurassic World or Inside Out? We're seeing Jurassic World, because that's how it is. You know, we're choosing restaurants, we're getting Chinese, but we got that last thing, we're getting it again, you know. Uh, We have that. Or if you are an employer or an employee, you know what that's like, that power dynamic, that tension, that wrestling. You see, we all have power. 
In fact, how many of you know this saying? With great power comes what? Great responsibility. Who said that? Spider-Man. That's right. Right out of Peter Parker. Wow. Some of you really, really love Spider-Man here. That's great. I'm in the right place then. <laughs> but let me tell you something. Peter Parker, Spider-Man understood that great power came great responsibility. You know who didn't understand that? King Nebuchadnezzar. He thought his power was all about me. All about me. But you know what? We live in a culture where power is distrusted, isn't it? We look at power as this negative thing. Absolute power corrupts what? Absolutely. And we see all these examples. And so we are kind of afraid of power or leveraging it. But let me ask you something. What if power could be redeemed? What if power could be leveraged in a good way, in a redemptive way? And and there's examples of this. And a great example of this is in, in the life of Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift is one of the most powerful women in all of music. She's been nominated for 19 Grammys. She's won seven. She's worth over $200 million. I mean, you talk about power, she's got it. She's got prestige. She's got possessions. She's got it all. But she also understands with great power comes great responsibility. And she knows how to leverage it to be a blessing to others. A couple weeks ago, maybe you remember this, that Apple came out with a streaming service, right? And the reason why it was going to be so cheap to the consumers, it's going to be the first three months for free, was they weren't going to pay the artists. They're going to give them exposure, right? That's what companies say. You're going to get exposure, but we won't pay you. You don't need money. And Taylor Swift heard about this. was like, this is really messed up. And she wrote an open letter to Apple. Maybe some of you read it, but she says this. This is not about me. And she's right. She's already got the money. She's got everything. She doesn't need any more. This is about the new artist or band that has just released their first single and will not be paid for its success. This is about this young songwriter who just got his or her first cut and thought that the royalties from that would get them out of debt. What she's saying is this. Listen, there's people that you're really hurting that don't have a voice. They don't have influence. They don't have power. But you know what? I'm going to use my voice to speak for them. I'm going to use my power to leverage something for them. Because you know what? They don't have anything to say right now, but they're going to have some incredible things to say and do. So I'm going to stick up for them. She's leveraging her power in a redemptive way. What a great redemptive example of how power can be used well in our culture. Let me ask you this. How are you doing leveraging your power? If you're a business owner or a department head, would your people say, you know what? My boss, they're pretty powerful. When they enter a room, man, I feel their presence, but they help me win. They help me be better, not just at work, but it translates to home and beyond. Or if you're a parent and you're in that power struggle right now, how can you start leveraging your power? How can you start blessing your teenagers? They're kind of entering that new weird stage where they need to start becoming adults, leveraging that power. Or you're in that relationship. Maybe you should let your partner watch inside out. It's good. I saw it yesterday. My wife won. It was good, you know. It's good stuff. Because when you leverage your power, it has a way of actually multiplying. It has a way of becoming a blessing to other people. Because remember, power is a stewardship. Here's what I mean by a stewardship. It's meant to serve other people. Not only is power a stewardship, it's temporary. Your power won't last forever. One day, your 15-year-old will be bigger than you. Or if they haven't been already, they're going to be out of the house. Your power over them will be gone. And also, you'll be accountable for it. I'm a Christian. I believe that one day God's going to ask me, Nathan, in the power I gave you, how did you use that to bless other people? Or did you use it for yourself? But even if you're not a believer in this room, you'll be accountable to the government, your family, the people that you work with, 
for how you used your power. Did it fuel the big P, or did you leverage it away from the big P so that you could be a servant? Leverage your power. But it's not enough to leverage your power. What does it look like for you to leverage your prestige? To leverage your prestige. See, prestige, you talk about prestige, King Nebuchadnezzar was probably one of the most prestigious rulers of the empire. His kingdoms were big, they were powerful. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 12, he describes the king as this beautiful tree that people admire and want to be around. You see, and that's the thing about prestige. All of us, maybe you're not the most powerful in the room, you're not the richest in the room, but you know what you are? You are the smartest. You've got lots of letters around your name, and depending on what kind of circles you're in, that has a lot of prestige. Maybe you've got a master's degree, you know? You've got one of those things going. you got your MA, you got the MBA. Oh, you got that going? Well, I got a PhD. What now, you know? And, you know, in some circles, some circles, I have, I have like, the rev in front of my name, and people are like, oh, he's a rev. We better not curse in front of him, you know? Stuff like that. We have this prestige that people admire, but maybe, you know, it's not the education thing. Maybe you're really, really pretty, you know, or you're really, really good looking, guys. You know, you've got the right hair, the right teeth, the right makeup, and you walk into a room, and you know there's not a lot going on up here. You know that. You're okay with that. You, you're okay with that. But you know people listen to you and will give you what you want because you got it going on all over here, the right fashion, the right body type. You know that you've got prestige. Or maybe some of you in this room, you're the Bible guy or the Bible girl, right? You've got lots of Bible knowledge. You know all sorts of things about doctrine and church history. And some of you are like, oh, I don't even know what a doctor is, you know? But, but you've got all that going on. But you know what? You use that to show people how smart you are and how much you know about the Bible. And people have an encounter with you and they think, man, what a jerk. What a jerk. Did you see what they put on Facebook the other day? Oh my gosh, like I feel so judged. But we have this, these things that make us feel prestigious, but all they do is they point us back to ourselves. And all of a sudden, the big P has more of an influence. We've cut off relationships because whenever people talk to us, they just think they're just so caught up in themselves. They can't handle this. But our prestige, it's a gift. And it can be leveraged to be a blessing to people rather than a curse. How many of you have heard of Tom's Shoes? Any of you have heard of Tom's shoes? Okay, three of you. I see that. Um, any, of you, any of you wearing Tom's shoes? You got one of, okay, I got one back there. Thank you, ma'am. Tom's shoes, what a great example. They're a fashion company. They're a fashion company that has leveraged their prestige to help kids in the two-thirds world who essentially, because they don't have proper foot care, are getting hookworm and all sorts of things. What a great company. Now, if you're like me, you kind of see things like that, and you're like, yeah, right. I bet that, yeah, that's not going to Tom's shoes. That's going to the guy, Tom, that runs the company. But, you know, last summer, I took a group to Burkina Faso, West Africa, and one of the things that we got to do was actually be on the distribution side of Tom's. That was really kind of neat. So, by the way, they're a real company. They really do do what they say. So, just a heads up. But, you know, we are there, and let me tell you something. This was interesting because uh, we, we went to what I'd call a shoeing ceremony, right? So right, what we're essentially doing is these kids are coming in. Um, they, they have never really worn shoes before, so we're actually pushing these shoes on these kids who've never worn shoes. It was kind of neat. You know, we, we smelled like feet by the end of it, you know. So, you know, we're putting shoes on these kids, and they're kind of going through the line, and it was really kind of a powerful thing. And one of the things that was interesting about doing this whole shoeing ceremony where we're putting the shoes on the kids was that the kids actually, they took their shoes off when they were done after they noticed that they fit, and they put on their, their dirty sandals again, or they just went barefoot. And when you found out why, it was this, because Toms were so precious to them. These shoes were so precious to them that they only wore them for school, for church, or any kind of big events in their lives. And what they would do was after they, uh, they uh, outgrew their toms, they would hand them off to their brother and sister. 
So when you buy one pair of Tom's shoes, you're buying shoes for an entire family, sometimes five or six different kids. And with the way this program was set up every year, they got a new pair. So you literally were taking care of all these kids and just protecting their feet and giving them, what, what a great organization. What a great example of how do we leverage our prestige? How do we leverage our prestige? Tom's does it so well. And so maybe you're the smartest person in the room and you've got the most alphabet letters behind your name. But when you sit down with people who say, hey, listen, I want to learn more about you because there's parts of your story that you can teach me. Or you know what? You're the most beautiful person in the room, but people have an encounter where you go, you know what? That person, not only were they beautiful, not only was their outside really stunning, but their character and their integrity was, was, was off, the, off the charts. Or you know, you, you, you're the Bible guy. You're the Bible girl. You know a lot. But when you interact with people that disagree with you, they leave away going, man, that person was just like Jesus. I didn't agree with the word they said, but man, I just felt like I was, wow, I just felt like I was in the presence of God. See, at the end of the day, our prestige, remember, it's the stewardship. If you are given prestige, leverage it for the sake of others. It's also temporary. Your prestige won't last forever. At some point, it will fade away, and you'll be held accountable. For some of you, you know you'll be held accountable by God, but for others, you know that other people in your life will hold you accountable for how you use your prestige. Leverage your prestige and leverage it well. We're going to look at the last uh, P here, and that's what does it look like for you and I to leverage our possessions, to leverage our possessions. King Nebuchadnezzar, he had it going on. He had power, he had prestige, and he conquered large nations. So he had possessions as well. In fact, one of the seven ancient wonders of the, seven, of the ancient world were the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. This was one of the most incredible architectural feats, engineering feats, of that time. People still to this day, you know, as they're reading kind of the descriptions of it, they're like, how the heck did they make this happen with the technology that they had at the time? King Nebuchadnezzar was an incredibly gifted man, but had a lot of possessions. And, you know, I get this picture that, you know, when, when all this is about to happen with the whole eating things like the ox, what was going on was this, is he was standing on the roof and he was, uh, you know, looking at the hanging gardens of Babylon and he was thinking, you know what? I've got it going on, and I know it. I'm killing it. You know, I'm killing it with, with my power. I'm killing it with my possessions, and I'm killing it with all this stuff. And the, he knew it, and that's when he said these words in verse 30. He said this, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence? Let's say this together. By my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. That's right. His stuff, his power and his prestige got him his stuff. And the thing was with, with King Nebuchadnezzar was he had all this stuff and he had all, all these possessions, but you see, at the end of the day, his possessions really possessed him. They possessed him. And so when he's here eating grass like a wild animal, just kind of all on fours, like in this really disturbing, uh, you know, uncomfortable picture, his possessions owning him was what brought him down to this place. Now, how does that work? How do our possessions actually possess us? Now, this is a tension that's, that's in my family. Maybe it's in yours as well, but maybe you figured out a way to beat this. But, you know, you know I get home, and my wife, she's, you know, she's with both of our kids, and they're a, they're a wild bunch. You know, it's two of them, but, you know, go, they leverage each other, you know? So, so the, you know, she finally gets the house in order. She's been cleaning and cooking, and the food's on the table, and we're having dinner together, and we're sitting down, and we're having dinner. Then all of a sudden, I, I feel like a buzzing going on in my pocket. You ever had this? You reach in, you pull out, and what is it? It's, oh, it's your phone. And so you, 
I got, I got something on Twitter, on Instagram, and you're kind of going through it, you're checking all that. And, and I remember my wife just kind of looked at me and goes, can, can you actually stop and, and be here with us right now? Can, you know, can you, can you not be all over here? Can you, can you actually be here with us at this meal? And you're kind of going, oh, you're right, you know, my possession actually just possessed me for that moment, you know? Or maybe you walk through a restaurant. Have you ever seen this? You walk through a restaurant, and everyone's talking to their devices more than to each other. You know, I know that we used to bring our iPad with us and say, all right, here's the babysitter, you know, and it was, you know, great. We had like 30 seconds of like freedom. It was awesome, you know? But, you know, we, when our possessions possess us, when we are catering more to our stuff, when we get annoyed when people interrupt us because we are playing with our devices and our other stuff, that's when our possessions possess us. That's when our possessions possess us. And when we're in that place, we need to break free of it. We need to break free of it. So let's look at verse 32. It says this. How do we, this is really the solution for kind of leveraging our three Ps and breaking the power of the big P in our life. It says this. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that what? So let's say this together. The most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. You see, the big P, when, when we're kind of living for the big P, it kind of blinds us. And we are unable to see what's going on. Our possessions and our prestige and our power, they keep us from really seeing the people we're hurting and we're alienating. It keeps us from really functioning as people who we were made to be. But when we actually pause and say, you know what? My power, prestige, and my possessions come from God. They come from Him. He's the one that's entrusted them to me. And then let's look at verse 36. It says this here. The same time that my sanity was restored, so King Nebuchadnezzar was back in his right mind, his kingdom was given back to him. It says this, he says, my, what, honor and splendor were returned to me. You see, his stuff was given back to him. But he had a different understanding of it. His whole way of looking at things was reoriented because of that. So what does it look like for you and I to leverage our possessions? What's that look like? Well, I have a neighbor, his name's Chip. And uh, this past winter, as I'm getting ready, you know, this is a pretty brutal winter. You know, I'm getting all my stuff on, about to go shovel snow. And then all of a sudden, I hear his snowblower going. And I open up my door, and he's already, like, gotten half of my driveway done. He's got my walkway done. I'm thinking, wow, you know, it's nice he's got a snowblower, and it's great for him, but he's actually leveraging his snowblower to bless me. Then he goes across the street to our 80-year-old neighbor, uh, Jim, and he's snowblowing his stuff as well. I'm thinking, wow. What a great example of a guy leveraging his possessions to be a blessing to us. I think of one of my youth leaders. I work with the youth group at our church, and she's got a car. It's not a great car. It's, you know, it, 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 it's barely passable, you know, from inspection standards. But, you know, she looks around and goes, you know, there's so many kids in our neighborhood that just need Jesus. That, you know, they don't have a positive influence at home. You know what? I can pick them up. I can pick them up, and true, i got to push them. You know, when my car breaks, i got to push them to church. But, you know, I can pick them up. I can bring them to church with me. And, you know, that's great. And a couple of years ago, you know, my wife and I, we had our first daughter, Selah, and, you know, we're frazzled. You ever hear your first kid, and it's like, you don't know which way is up, down, all around, you know? And so that's kind of where we were at. And, and someone from a church came up and said, listen, we have a beach house down at Seaside. Why don't you take the beach house? Why don't you just hang out there for a weekend so you can kind of refresh and recuperate? I'm like, Oh, thank you so much. What a blessing. What a blessing. You see, I don't think the answer is we need to get rid of our possessions or our prestige or our power, but how do we leverage it? How do we bless other people with our stuff? Because remember, at the end of the day, our possessions, they're a stewardship, aren't they? We were given them so that we can serve others with it. But they're temporary. 
All of your stuff will one day rust and rot. They will rust and rot. And we'll be accountable for how we use it. We'll be accountable for how we use our possessions. And for me, one of the greatest examples of this, of leveraging their three Ps, was the example that we saw with, with our king, who I really believe is the king of kings, and that's Jesus. He leveraged his three Ps for the sake of you and for the sake of me. And, and there's a letter written to the people of Corinth by a guy named Paul. And he says in his letter in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, he says this, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, would you say this with me in yellow, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Let's pause right here. Was Jesus rich? Was God rich? Absolutely. Did he have power? All power in heaven and earth was given to him. He created everything. Did he have prestige? Absolutely. He was seated at the right hand of God. He's in the name above every other name. And did he have possessions? Oh, yeah. He ruled over the entire earth and everything in it. But Jesus, you know, rather than King Nebuchadnezzar, he had, the, you know, he had power, prestige, and possessions. It led him to the big P right here. But when Jesus had his riches, it led him to a different P, poverty. See here, he says here, so that you through his what? Poverty might become rich. See, Pastor Tim did a great job last week showing us this, but it's not enough to just be killing the big P. We've got to crucify it. We've got to crucify it. Because this is keeping you away from having a relationship with God. A relationship that is filled with adventure, an adventure uh, a relationship that's filled with destiny and purpose. And if we don't crucify the big P, it'll crush us. It'll destroy us. So I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you have a relationship with Jesus, but there's an area of your life that he's saying it's time to kill it. It's time to kill it. Lay down your pride. Start killing off the big P. Maybe some of you are thinking, you know what? I've never really considered it. I'm starting to think about it. But what's holding you back? Is it the big P that's holding you back from giving your life to Jesus fully and completely? Because you see, when we're able to kind of surrender our pride, that's really the beginning of a whole new journey of celebration, a journey of passion, about power, of knowing God in a way that <laughs> that will blow you away, simply blow you away. So our three Ps here, let's learn how to leverage them, our power, prestige, and our possessions. But here's the thing, is when I look at you, Liquid Church, and again, I don't know many of you very well yet, uh, but, you know, when I get to, when, you know, when I kind of talk to some of you, I see you as a 3P people. You've got power, you've got prestige, and, and you've got possessions. But you know what I've noticed as an outsider looking in? I'm really blessed by your example of how you've leveraged your 3Ps. And let me just share with you something just kinda I've seen. How many of you were around for that Operation uh, Christmas Angel thing back in 2011? Any of you here for that? Okay, a couple of you were. And we saw a great example, you can see the highlights on the screen, of how you leveraged your three Ps. You invited some of the poorest families living in New Jersey to come and have an entire Christmas experience. They had a phenomenal breakfast. They had, uh, their parents had this shopping experience. They could go and get different gifts and wrap them up and essentially have Christmas. You gave these kids and these families the opportunity to have a Christmas, to have joy. And you leveraged your three Ps, your power, possessions, and your, and your uh, prestige to be a blessing. But here's something you may not know. The our church, Stonecrest Community Church, we saw what you did. We saw what you did. And we're like, wow, look how they leveraged their three Ps 
to be a blessing. And you know what? We did the same thing. We stole your event. Don't tell anybody. But we stole your event. Why? Because it's a kingdom thing, right? You were involved with the kingdom movement. And we said, you know what? There's God in this. So let's challenge our people to leverage their three Ps, not for their pride, but for the sake of others. Not for their pride, but to honor God. And you know, you liquid church, you're three P people that are leveraging your Ps to be a blessing to other people and to honor God. See, I hope that you continue to be a three P church. In fact, I pray that God will increase your power, prestige, and possessions. Why? So that you'd leverage them to honor him and to bless others. So you're that department head. You've got power. You're a business owner. What's it going to look like tomorrow morning? How are you going to leverage your power so that your employees at the end of the day will say, you know what? My boss really helped me win at my job. He really blessed me. Or you've got prestige, you've got the education, you've got beauty, you've got Bible knowledge, whatever it is. How can you use that prestige, just like Tom's shoes, to be a blessing to other people? To speak for those who who can't speak. To be a voice for those that are voiceless. And your possessions. Obviously, you can't use a snowblower right now. But how about your lawnmower? How about your car? How can you use those things to be a blessing to others? See, the big P, pride, this is going to be a constant battle. We constantly have to be crucifying it. And for some of you this morning, there's some some relationships that you don't want to reconcile because you're more right than wrong, but you're still on the wrong side of right. For some of you, you've let your prestige blind you, and you've been going after more of it. And God's saying, it's time to bring that back and get reconnected to reality. Here's what we're going to do together. We're going to make a declaration. We need to look up and acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the nations. So we need to declare this together. And for some of you, this scripture, you need to memorize this. You need to get this deep into your bones because that's how deep the big P is, right? It's got to cut out the roots. But we're going to say this together. And we're going to declare it. We're not just going to say it. We're going to declare this. This is truth. Because just as this set King Nebuchadnezzar free, when you declare that King Jesus is over all things and wants to set you free, he will. So would you stand with me? And let's declare this in yellow together, nice and loud. The Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on the earth. Let's say that one more time. The Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on the earth. Let's pray. Spirit of God, we just invite you to come. You are the Most High. You are sovereign. And you've entrusted your power to these folks here. And so right now, I just pray that you would increase that. Where you know, just break off the power of pride in people's lives. That they may have, may have soft hearts that are sensitive to what you're saying to them. Maybe it's reconciling relationships, but the primary relationship with you. So, Spirit of God, we ask you to do what only you can do, and that's bring life change. Thank you that you are the sovereign, that you are the most high over all the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.